Again, that's Daniel chapter 4, starting at verse 1 on page 895 in the Church Bible. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven, He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruits. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men." This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, Let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you 
and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, And let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity." All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me. And I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble.
Now, one of the extraordinary things about the book of Daniel is that the events of Daniel's life happen at the perfect time in history for God to teach us exactly what he wants to teach us. It's almost like and he orchestrated the whole thing to teach us about his supreme majesty and mercy. But I think it's very hard to get our heads around the scope of what is happening in the book of Daniel. Because there's just no world ruler at the moment on the world stage who has the scale of influence that Nebuchadnezzar had. To help us, let's try a thought experiment for a minute. Picture this with me. It's 2050. But between 2030 and 2050, Iran has managed to weaponize AI more rapidly than any other nation. And they've used it to aggressively take over um, control of every nation's infrastructure. They have control of all the nuclear weapons. And any country that doesn't surrender to their rule, um, they've been obliterated. Cornwall finally got independence in 2049, but they've been liquidated, sadly. On top of that, um, Iran has bombed every church on the face of the earth, and Christians are scattered all over the place or are dead. Apart from that is, some of the best and brightest Christian scientists and engineers and statesmen, they're taken to Tehran, where they're sterilized, and they're forced to serve the regime. Well, welcome to Daniel's world, which is a bit like that, but 2,500 years earlier on. And the name Daniel means God judges. And the book of Daniel is about how the judgment of God brings salvation to the whole world. It is not just unfortunate, well, it isn't unfortunate at all, that Judah had been deported to Babylon. And God ordained it because of their unrelenting rebellion against him. In their last years in their own land, they burnt their children to appease other gods. And they spilt so much innocent blood, they make London's knife crime epidemic look tame. They were meant to be a light to the nations, but instead they became like the nations, even worse. But God had promised to save the world through them, and he keeps his promises. So how is he going to do that now? Well, in a majestic and merciful way, a way that could only come from the mind of God, and that's how he'll do it. And Daniel's 70-year or so career is a picture of how God is still going to save the world and through his people in the next stage of history. And in Daniel 4, we see the future scope of God's salvation through judgment. What the king of heaven will do for the kingdom of men. And we see that through God's mercy to the king of the whole world in the 6th century BC, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, up until Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar had said some nice things about what God has done for Daniel and his friends. But it essentially amounts to, isn't that nice? Um, Isn't it great for you that your God rescued you from a fiery furnace? I'm so happy for you. But that all changes in chapter uh, chapter 4 verse 2. And with two words in particular, I wonder what you think are the most important two words in verse 2. Let's read it. Nebuchadnezzar said, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done. 
And here they are, for me. The signs and wonders the Most High God has done for me. What God has done for his servants in chapter 3, um, he has done for the persecutor of them in chapter 4. And we start this chapter, I think, with some of the most surprising verses in the Bible. In verses 1 to 3, um, we see the unique testimony of an unlikely convert. Now, um, we may know, and some of us may be involved in, that there are lots of Christian Union events weeks going on around the country at the moment. Um, some of our associates have just come back from Bristol. Some, about, some have just left this afternoon to go and help Sheffield Christian Unions. And often part of these events, they involve an interview or a testimony from someone who has turned to follow Jesus. Well, imagine having the literal king of the world give his testimony. Um, what title do you think would the students give it? Um, the butcher of Babylon believes in the Bible. Or the king of the world acknowledges the king of heaven. And across all of um, King Nebuchadnezzar's social media feeds, he's done a personal takeover from his PR men for one minute. And he put this announcement out, verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. And this is the sort of reach even Taylor Swift can only dream of. In our future sort of 2050 world, imagine this. Imagine getting an alert from your government-installed microchip implanted in your brain. And instead of saying the usual, uh, attempted rebellion in Wales, put down again, no survivors. It says this, um, from the supreme leader of the global republic of Iran, I have come to bow the knee to the most high God of the Bible. And verse three, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. This is quite a unique testimony, isn't it? And from quite an unlikely convert. Then the central section of the chapter, um, he narrates his testimony and he goes into some more detail. And if he teamed up with Jazzy Jeff in the 1990s, he might have started it like this. Let me tell you a story all about how my life got twisted upside down. I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became to be humbled by the Most High God. So <laughs> not quite the same. But that's the center of the chapter, verse 4 to 33. The humbling of the house proud. So in verse, uh, verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar, he's chilling out in his Babylonian mansion, putting his feet up after he's conquered the world, finally getting around to watching season 2 of The Traitors. And he slips into a dream, and it freaks him out. Verse 5, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in the bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. And it is bad news, verse 19, because Daniel is as freaked out as Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he basically says in the second half of verse 19, I wouldn't wish this on your worst enemy. Now, if we look down at verse 19, I know he says precisely the opposite of that, um, but we know what I mean. Although it does start well, uh, to be fair, in verse 20, um, this part of the dream we could probably cope with, couldn't we? Let's look at that for a moment, verse 20. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that it top reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful 
and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, and under which the beasts of the fields found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. You have grown to be a worldwide kingdom. Every corporate giant from Nestle to NVIDIA have relocated their headquarters to Babylon. The entire world economy runs through your financial market. The Babylonian shekel is the global reserve currency. Every nation looks to your protection and prosperity. Um, You even look good. You've got great leaves, leaves to die for. Verse 21. It's not bad going. It's not bad going. But then the second part of the vision, and the going is not so good. A watcher, one of heaven's ruling angels, comes down and says it's time to chop you down to size. You were at ease in your home, but you're going to be homeless. Nebuchadnezzar goes from palace to open country, from the height of civilization to animalistic dehumanization. What he's going to go through um, is depicted as a sort of devolution, a decreation, uh, a degradation. Verse 25. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you, shall be, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. He will become like an animal. And verse 16 is even more explicit about that earlier on. Verse 16. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. Now, it's easy for us potentially to make light of this, but it's pretty heartbreaking, isn't it, um, to watch someone we care about lose their mind. Some of us may have in our family or in those we know, and we might see someone lose the capacity to reason and function normally as a human being. It is very sad and distressing. No wonder Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel were so alarmed. But why? And why is this going to happen? Well, we see that in the last part of verse 25. This will happen to Nebuchadnezzar until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. You need to understand, Nebuchadnezzar, that God is in charge, not you. He is the one that ultimately rules the kingdom of men. And he gave you your house, your prosperity. He even gave you the reasoning faculties for you to operate the kingdom he gave you. I was speaking at a a boys' school uh, about this on Friday evening. And one of the boys there, he's going off next week to take part in the International Math Olympiad. I think that's what it is. It's the sort of grand final of the world. Only the top 10 countries are being represented. But we're speaking together um, in that meeting, in that room. And we said to one another that if we were born in a tower block in Gaza, um, would we be here doing the sort of things we were doing? Um, Would that young man be going um, to Romania next week? And the answer is no. Um, All we have is from God. We also thought a little bit about um, what it would like to be a cow, and probably a bit less instructive. Um, We thought that it might be interesting for a few minutes, um, but it wouldn't be that good after a while. Uh, And without God, um, Nebuchadnezzar is like an animal, a beast here. Now, perhaps this is a picture that without God's sovereign gift, 
he is no different from the other beastly rulers of the nations who shelter under his tree. Or perhaps it's also that without the imprint of God, he is just like an animal. Then there's a strange provision of verse 26, where it says this, And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. And we see from verse 23 that the stump was going to be bound with a band of iron and bronze. It will look like a sort of decoration you find in an East End coffee shop. And the stump will be prevented from growing, but it also will be protected until Nebuchadnezzar has learnt the lesson God is teaching him. So the vision is not without hope. In fact, it has a good ending. Um, But Daniel would much rather, for the king's sake, that he learn the easy way without having to go through all of this. And he gives him the way out in verse 27. Verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Respond to God. Listen to him. Repent from your evil ways and act like the most high God commands the king of the world to act. That's all he needs to do. And before we might be tempted to feel too sympathetic or sorry for Nebuchadnezzar and because maybe this is so new to him or Um, It's a bit startling and it came from nowhere. Um, Remember, um, this is not a one-off. It is not at all out of the blue. In chapter 1, God had planted the seed of his people in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. And they proved, and he recognized, that they were ten times better than all the other court consultants he had. In chapter 2, God revealed that he dwelled with his exiled people through the wisdom he showed Daniel revealing the mystery of the king's dream like no one else on earth could. And in chapter 3, he showed his unrivaled power to rescue, like no other god, Nebuchadnezzar himself said. And he saved everyone's three favorite named musketeers from the furnace. And this happened all under Nebuchadnezzar's nose. And now he gets another vision from Daniel, and he knows Daniel knows what it means. And Daniel tells him clearly, So surely he will listen. Surely he will do it the easy way. Well, no. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of of the palace of Babylon. And just sorry, just notice there for a moment and the kindness of God in this. He gave him 12 months to respond after all he'd already seen as well. Perhaps he'd begun to repent, but never quite followed through. Or perhaps he's never even started. But after 12 months, he managed to learn the opposite lesson. So verse 30, and the king answered and said, is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And this is a sort of moment coming up now um, when a teenager who's hosting a party in his parents' house when he thinks they've gone away for the weekend. He's standing on the sofa, sort of bottle of vodka in one hand, and leading the revelers in a great rendition of Wonderwall. He's on top of the world. Uh, when midway through, he's blaring out, I said, maybe. Um, Mum, unplug the speaker. And Dad, 
turns on the lights. Or in this case, a lot more scarily, an audible voice from heaven comes. Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And verse 33. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. This is the absolute humbling, the humiliation even, of the house proud. What God has built up for Nebuchadnezzar, with just a click of his fingers, he tears right back down again. And we could say a similar thing has happened to many people, um, even if it's on a much smaller scale. Um, do we know why Kevin Bacon is debasing his sort of acting brilliance by being in all these E adverts? Why is that? Well, it's because he lost so much money in Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme. Um, he was broke. Um, he was humbled. Um, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. But that is not the end. In the astonishing mercy of God, he does allow Nebuchadnezzar to learn the lesson. So finally, um, the recognition of heaven's rule. So after telling the story, um, Nebuchadnezzar goes back to first-person testimony in verse 34 to 37. And what God said would happen, happened exactly as he said it would. Again, just a reminder, we have to remember how surprising this is. Um, Imagine Xi Jinping at the National Congress of the CCP in his presidential address started with these words in verse 37. Now, I, President Xi, praise and extol and honour the King of Heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Let's just consider the three staggering clauses of that statement in turn. Just to say, firstly, some Christian brothers and sisters, um, faithful Christian brothers and sisters um, in Christ, think this episode is just a sort of general humbling of Nebuchadnezzar, sort of Kevin Bacon style on a bigger scale. And it's true. Um, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't lay out a contemporary gospel outline or exposit penal substitutionary atonement as if Romans had already been written. Um, But I think we should ask this. um, What more do we want him to do? What more do you want him to do? He praises, extols, and honors the King of Heaven, the Most High God, Daniel's God. The King of the world worships the King of Heaven. Then second, he adopts the national anthem of God's historic people. He says, for all his works are right and his ways are just. This is riffing off a line from Deuteronomy 32. It's a song God's people are told to memorize as it summarizes the foundational revelation of God's rescue to the world in the first five books of the Bible. Now, we were actually going to sing a version of this song uh, this evening, if I had a bit more backbone. Um, In our planning meeting uh, for this service, um, I was talked down from having this song because, to be fair, actually, uh, the the version I suggested, um, it did have a pretty uninspiring tune. Um, But the use of this song here um, is quite staggering. Um, It's like if at the rugby yesterday, I don't know if you watched any of that, 
um, Blair Kinghorn, uh, the man with the most unmistakably Scottish name in the world, um, during the national anthem, he ripped off his Scottish shirt, put on an England shirt, and then joined in the England team, singing God Save the King. That's what Nebuchadnezzar does, sort of, here. And the song of God's people becomes the song of the world because the judgment of God's people has brought salvation to the world. It is through the rightful judgment of God and his people, through their destruction and deportation to the world's oppressors Babylon, that he actually brings about salvation to the oppressors as well as the oppressed. Even though it was Israel's collective failure that led them into this mess, God still blesses the world through them. He keeps his merciful promise without compromise. In other words, all his works are right and his ways are just. And third, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the kindness and mercy and grace of God. What God has done for Nebuchadnezzar shows there's not a person on earth who is out of reach of God's ability to humble to salvation. And this is the king of the world, remember. And there is no one too arrogant or too lofty. And he did this for the house-proud king of the world. We were visiting some friends in Chelsea for brunch yesterday, and we walked um, about a kilometre through Chelsea back to um, the station. And we passed some immaculate, magnificent houses on the way. But there's no reason to think that God is not able to humble the people that live in them. There's also no one too evil. He did it for the evil oppressor of the world. And there's no criminal in a British prison, sort of what we're hearing earlier, are too hardened for God to humble. And the song we're actually going to finish with uh, expresses this reality really well. It's actually an inspired choice by Simpo, and much better than my idea. And we're going to sing Amazing Grace, which is another testimony of an unlikely convert. It is written by John Newton, a slave trader so despicable that he was thrown off a slave ship by fellow slave traders for the way he was treating the slaves. And there's amazing grace even for him as there was for Nebuchadnezzar. But there's one final lesson to learn as we close. And the lesson God wants us to understand um, is in verse 17. And here we see not just a lesson for Nebuchadnezzar, but a lesson for the living, um, which includes us, uh, if we're still breathing at the moment. And it goes a step further than the initial lesson to Nebuchadnezzar. So verse 17 there. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and here's the extra bit, and sets over it the lowliest of men, and sets over it the lowliest of men. We saw in chapter two, if we were here, that Nebuchadnezzar was the head of a series of four worldwide kingdoms that would arise before the final kingdom of God would be established. And God's dealings with Nebuchadnezzar in this chapter give us a paradigm or a picture for what God's final king will be like. He will be the lowliest of men. Presumably, he will do what the world king was meant to do in verse 27. Practice righteousness. Show mercy to the oppressed. And through the signs and wonders of God, God will highly exalt 
this humble king. And he will proclaim peace to all the earth. Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of the mercy that the king of heaven will give to the kingdom of men. Not only as one who receives mercy, but also restored Nebuchadnezzar, the image of the humble, blessed, and peace-promoting king. And he is a picture there of hope for believers in exile of what their king will be like when God establishes his kingdom on the earth. The humbling of Nebuchadnezzar is a demonstration of God's ability and desire to work salvation for the whole world, even after, in fact, through the judgment of his people. And God uses their failure and deportation into Babylon to save Babylon. The mercy of God. We'll give the final words to some of Nebuchadnezzar's final recorded words on the pages of history. I'm halfway through verse 34. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will amongst the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say to him, or none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Let me listen in prayer. Our Father, thank you that all your works are right and your ways just. Thank you for displaying your astonishing mercy in your rule of history. Please give us a bigger view of your saving rule that we might hold on ever more confidently to your promises of mercy and act in light of them. Amen.